Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Daniel chapter 5. God is my judge. That is the meaning of the word Daniel. Dan, Dan is judge. I, in that word, would be translated from the Hebrew. Uh, the Yod would be my. And El, of course, is the name for God. So Daniel says, God is my judge. We're going to read from verse 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter. It's somewhat of a lengthy read, but I was told years ago by my homiletics teacher who is now in the presence of his Savior, Dr. Kenneth Writings, that the most important thing you're going to say all day will be what you read out of the Word. So I want to read from Daniel chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 1. Belshazzar. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. And when Belshazzar tasted the wine, that word there in the Aramaic, this is one of those passages that we find in Aramaic instead of Hebrew in the Old Testament. But in the Aramaic, this word would mean not just tasted like, you know, wine tasters do. I, I, they roll it around in a glass, slosh it, I call it, and they smell it and all that, and then they drink it and they spit it out. And I don't know what all that's about, but that's not what he's doing. The word here probably means he is tasting the wine by now. You understand what that means? He is feeling it. It says, when Nebuchadnezzar had, or Belshazzar that was his father, tasted the wine. He gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And then he brought out the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple of the house of God which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wife and his concubines drank from them. And they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, of iron and wood and stone. And suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing, and then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners, and the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple, have a necklace of gold around his neck, and have authority as third 
ruler in the kingdom. And then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. And then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles, and the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because of an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanations of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned. And he will declare the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is the one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I've heard about you, that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you were able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now if you're able to read the inscription and make its interpretation Known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. And then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself, or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king, And make the interpretation known to him. I'm glad this is a tradition that goes way back because before Daniel gives him the interpretation, he preaches him a little sermon. I thought I invented that. He says, O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed. He was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of beast, and his dwelling place was with wild donkeys, and he was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until 
he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, you've not humbled your heart even though you knew all of this. But you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him and this inscription was written out. Now, this is the inscription that was written out, meaning tickle you far seen. And this is the interpretation of the message, meaning God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. This that was a measurement. He says, Tickle, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. And Perez your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. And then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler of the kingdom. But that same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. I, I hate just diving in anywhere in Scripture and not setting the scene somewhat. I want to know what's going on here. It is so hard to really understand any passage unless you realize why it's there and what time and history and all we're dealing with. So, let me just say a few things. We are near the end of the Old Testament. And you remember from some of our studies that Assyria had ruled the world for some time. As a matter of fact, 722 years before the coming of Christ, Assyria had taken the ten tribes in the north. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Assyria took 12 of them into captivity. Later on, about 609 or so, Assyria, though, would lose its power, and it would fall to the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were ruled, first of all, by Nabopolassar, and then the next king to come along was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was quite the man. He came to the two tribes down in the south, visited with them several different times, he put his own man on the throne. He still didn't like the way he did things. He told the two tribes in the south, he said, I, I know where you are. I want you to pay taxes to me. I, I, this is going to be the agreement that we work out, and you honor it, and we can get along. This was important for Babylon. You might think, well, why does he even care about these two little tribes? But Israel was a land bridge between all of Africa and all of Europe and Asia. And you went right through there. As a matter of fact, in that day, you went right through a little valley, or it was a huge valley, 
between the mountains, and the mountains would and the sea would force you into it, and it was a passageway called Megiddo or the Valley of Megiddo. Napoleon said it was the greatest battlefield in all the world. Because if you came from the south or you came from the north, at some point you're going to meet there. So that little area of the world was important to the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar, though, couldn't get them to cooperate. He finally went down and took the guy he had put on the throne, which was named Zedekiah, and he told him, he said, look, I'm, 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 I'm done. I've, I've had enough. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill your sons, and then I'm going to gouge out your eyes so that the last thing you ever saw on this earth would be me killing your two boys. He was that kind of brute. So that is where we are. The Babylonians are ruling. But this passage that we just read, the Babylonian Empire is just about to fall. It will fall on that very night. When this passage ends, the next morning the Babylonian Empire will be no more. It's hard to know what to compare that to. It would be much like the Roman Empire in the New Testament. It didn't fall within the confines of the New Testament, but about 400 years after the New Testament closed, the Roman Empire would fall. Here are two empires that nobody ever thought would fall. They were just too strong, too powerful, too mighty, and there was just no way that it was ever going to happen. But it did happen. Cyrus will come to the throne of the Persians. He will let the children of Israel return back to their homeland. We read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah. God raised up three prophets during that time. That was uh, Haggai, Malachi, and Zechariah. Not in that order. But uh, he would raise up those three prophets. Uh, Esther, we read about her during this period of time as well. But we are right near the end of the Old Testament. And then there will be 400 years of silence. And then the New Testament will open. So the Assyrians follow the Babylonians. The Babylonians are going to fall to the Persians, the Persians will later fall to Alexander the Great and the Greeks, and then the Greeks will fall to the Romans. So that's where we are. Now, I hate to go through all of that, but I think it's important. This is a powerful, powerful empire. If you go to Iraq today, you will see so many of the walls that we're talking about right here. And I don't mean like... You can just find a rock here and there. As a matter of fact, the walls were so mighty and so well preserved that some of you may remember Saddam Hussein was actually at one point refurbishing some of the walls of the ancient city of Babylon. And he thought of himself uh, as the next Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to bring the Babylonian Empire back. It'll be a rack, but it's going to be great like the empires of old and they even have the ziggurat there the tower that they believed was built at Babel the way back in the book of Genesis and he began to refurbish that and the city was incredible originally this city had walls that were 25 feet thick they were 40 feet tall they had towers some of them they said over 300 feet in the air 
This city was absolutely impervious as far as any kind of attack. It was an incredible place. They had food in there stored up for years to come, and water was not a problem because the river Euphrates ran right through the middle of the city. How in the world could an empire like this fall? Well, we've got one more piece of business we need to take care of, and then we'll get to the text. Who is Belshazzar? When we read history for years, we never heard of him. And especially liberal scholars, I'm not sure what the uh, more conservative ones thought, but for centuries, because we never heard of Belshazzar in any of the history books, as far as we knew, according to history, Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon. So as far as we knew, and a lot of people would say this, that basically Daniel made this whole story up. That there never was a character named Belshazzar. But in 1881, there was an Assyriologist. I don't know if you've ever had an appointment with an Assyriologist. I hear they charge a lot. Or Muzrasam. He was an Assyriologist in 1881, and he was digging in an area in what we would know of as Baghdad, and it's probably on the screen or will be. But there is a cylinder called the Cylinder of Nabonidus, and on that cylinder was written in cuneiform some history that dated all the way back to the time of the passage that we just read. And Nabonidus said, for the last several years of my reign over Babylon, I stayed in a little town called Tameh, and it was down in Saudi Arabia. It was sort of like Camp David, where the leader went and got away from everything. He said, I stayed there for years. And then, he says, on this same cylinder, he said, I had a son named guess who? Belshazzar. And he said, Belshazzar ruled over Babylon back in Babylon. And we were co-regents. He ruled and I ruled. We divided the kingdom between myself and my son. Do you understand now when he said, I'll give you a third of the kingdom if you can decipher this Daniel. It's split two ways now. It will be split three ways if you can decipher this message that I see on the wall. So I say all of that to let you know when people begin to tell you, well, you know, I saw this thing on the History Channel and they had never heard of Belshazzar or whatever. We have more than one time found egg on our face because we were too big for our britches and thought we knew more than we did. People have been trying to make the Bible into a fairy tale for a long time. And they fail every single time. I want to tell you one more interesting thing. You say, man, one more interesting thing. We're going to be here to dark. No, I promise we won't. Right before dark. I had no idea when I started reading this sermon. Now, one thing, I'm, we're preaching a message entitled... Uh, the fall of empires or the death of an empire. 
Imagine my surprise when I got up early this morning and looked and saw where Alabama had been beaten. I thought, man, this must be of the Lord. <laughs> I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't know. I just know that I never thought that would happen. But I found out some other interesting things. If you go back to some of the ancient documents, and I got into some of these this week, but you go back to some of the ancient documents, this little town called Timae, it fell on the 13th day of Tishrai. Um, it fell on the third, actually, yeah, the 13th day, I believe it was, of Tishrai. Uh, or maybe 14th day, I don't remember the exact day for that. But it fell in the month of Tishrai, which is in October, and I remember when I was looking at it, uh, going through and figuring out when that would be, and, and somebody did that for me. I'm not smart enough to do that, but I was curious enough to keep looking to, until I found it. This day, October the 10th, 2,559 years ago, Tame, where Nabonidus, or Nabonidus, Nabonidus hung out, trying to figure out how to pronounce his name, that city, was, that city was destroyed. Two days later, which will be Tuesday of this week, is the fall of the Roman Empire. I don't know how you plan to celebrate that. 2,559 2, years ago. Something I didn't plan, but I guess we're right on time with this. We're preaching some events that happened this week a long time ago. I guess that's fitting because some things never change. Empires fall. And no matter how great they are and mighty they are, I can tell you, they crumble. God is the only constant in this world. And I, I, I can tell you, Right now, being a part of the United States of America, which I believe is the greatest nation that has ever existed on the face of this earth, we are facing issues right now and that, that I do believe could be very detrimental to our very existence if we are not careful. I think we'll lose our way of life way before then. But I think eventually, like all empires that forget God and decide to do things on their own, their own way, I think this great empire one day has a date that will be at the end of it as well. I tried to outline the passage in some way that we could remember all of these. I finally decided to just list them. And that's about all I'm going to have time to do. But I want to give you nine reasons why empires fall and they're all right here in the text nine reasons why empires that are greater than anybody else that have prepared for the very worst that could ever come that have resources beyond imagination how is it that empires fall well the passage first of all teaches us number one they trust in the wrong lord if you go to verse 1, it says, Belshazzar, the king. You can just stop right there. The first part of his name is Bel. His god was Marduk. 
But just like Elohim, the God of the Old Testament, the creator of the universe, had a name for Lord that he went by, which was Yahweh, Marduk had a name where if they wanted to call him Lord, they would use the word Bel. So Belshazzar means Lord protect the king. And I mean, you just think about it. They had, I mean, they almost wouldn't need protection. They had prepared for anything that might come. And, and they had all of these resources stored up. And, and usually in days like that, boy, and they had figured it out. So many cities would run out of water. And that was how you'd get them out. We don't care how high you build the walls. When you get ready for a drink of water, you're sending somebody out with a bucket. And when you do, that's when we're coming in. So what they did, they built the city around the Euphrates River, and they had this huge river that was flowing right through the middle of it. And while they're in here this night, having this party that, that we'll celebrate the anniversary of this Tuesday, while they're having this party, I guess it would be tomorrow night that they had the party, the Persians have surrounded it. And what they did was they dug channels to let part of the Euphrates go out into the land. And then when the Euphrates went out into the land and got out of its banks, it went to sinking. The, the river level went down. And when it went down far enough, they got down in the water and the Persians came in the city using the very thing that the Babylonians thought would keep them safe and supplied forever. Trusting in the wrong Lord. That's how empires fall. You know, I'm, I, 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 I'll tell you in a heartbeat, boy, I'm so proud to be an American. And I am, I am a patriot. You know that about me. I'm, I'm, I just, we have been second to none for so many years here in America. And I, I am a, a proud American, but my heart breaks because I can tell you, no matter what kind of weaponry we have, no matter uh, what, what kind of protection we have, what kind of military we have, we are beginning to see some of that erode right around us. The military we knew in World War II. Could we even muster a fighting source like that once again? As a matter of fact, I, I'm afraid if we went back to 1776, I don't know that we would even fight that war. I'm afraid that there would be people who would say, well, you know, he is the king and it is the law and he shouldn't have broke the law and all of that. And you do realize that George Washington was a, uh, he, he committed treason. He, he was, uh, in, in that day, they would consider him a criminal and he was to be hung and all of that. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm just telling you now, as great a country as we have, I am afraid that we're beginning to see it crumble. And, and it's in odd ways. It's not by some just straight on attack. Because that's what we've always been used to. We always thought somebody would come and, and maybe fire a shot across a bow and buddy, we'd turn the Tomcats loose on them. And man, we'd hit them so fast with so many rounds that they, they wouldn't even know uh, where they were coming from. But I'm afraid when I Read the news. We're not falling from out there. We're falling from in here. Because we've trusted the wrong Lord. We put our faith in the wrong place. 
Secondly, treat that which is holy as common. In verses 2 and 3, I won't read all of them, but he took these goblets and vases that his, and Nebuchadnezzar was not his father, he was his grandfather, but there is no word in Aramaic or Hebrew for grandfather. So usually they would just call you father. And so we're locking around my house, everybody calls me papa. Grandkids, I'm papa. Kids, I'm papa. Uh, somebody needs money, I'm sweet papa. Nebuchadnezzar was actually his grandfather. But Nebuchadnezzar, when he went and took the last two tribes, he went to Jerusalem. And God was already, I'm going to tell you something, he had already had it with his people. They had turned their back on him so many times. When Nebuchadnezzar got to the temple, I'm talking about the temple in Jerusalem. You know the place where you, if you walk past a certain spot, you just kill over dead. He walked right through the front door. He walked right through the veil that went into the Holy of Holies. He just cut his way right through, opened everything up, said, load all this junk up, we're taking it home. The Israelites had to have been blown away. They'd never seen anybody come out of there alive that went in there that wasn't supposed to. But here was the point. They, because they had treated that which was holy as common, they had gotten to the place that they no longer held God in esteem like they should have. They had a temple. They had sacrifices. They had a building. They had all kinds of utensils and all kinds of processes for worship and they still offered the sacrifices and all of that. But God says, I'll tell you what I like better than sacrifices. And you've never seemed to figure that out, Israel. I like obedience. I like it when I tell you to do something, that you do it because you know I am God and you know that I know what's best. But you've gotten away from that. And yeah, you still have a temple, but guess what? You don't have that ominous presence anymore. And Nebuchadnezzar hauled it all the way. Now even Nebuchadnezzar seemed to keep all of this stuff stored away. He had a reverence for God because he had some dealings with God. He had some dealings with God at the fiery furnace. And then Daniel uh, recounts some uh, things that God taught Nebuchadnezzar. So I don't think Nebuchadnezzar would have ever done this. But Belshazzar is a fool. And Belshazzar said, I tell you what, this old wine's making me feel pretty good. I know where there's some fancy glasses. My grandpa went down there to that holy temple, that place where you couldn't get in. He got in, and he brought all these vessels back. Let's fill them up with wine. I got all of these sluts in here with me and my wives and, 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 and all of this trash going on, and we're having this orgy tonight. I'll tell you what would make it better. Let's take the, the utensils that... That, that used to be used to worship the God that we defeated. Let's bring them in here and fill them up with something to drink and make use of them. He took what was holy and treated it like it was common. I don't, it didn't say he desecrated them in the sense that he did something terrible other than drink out of them. And I thought about that. It's the same way with us today. We take holy things like marriage. I'd say we pretty well desecrated that in a lot of ways. But we just, the, the way these things start is we start out going, well, I know marriage is holy and it's a gift from God and it's supposed to be forever, but mine's not working out, so I'm going to try another one. And, 
And if that one don't work out, I, I got my eye on somebody else and on and on and on. And people fool around and they're not faithful and all of that. And then sexuality, that was designed by God. That was another thing that was holy. It was set in stone in the Garden of Eden. We've taken that and just absolutely trashed it. The list could go on forever. There's so many things that God holds to be sacred. I made them male and female, but they decided they'll be whatever they want to be. And they shake their fist in my face. We've taken the holy and treated as common. Thirdly, they worship the wrong God. It says they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. The best definition I have ever heard of idolatry came from Augustine. He said, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that ought to be worshipped. Let me read it again. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that ought to be worshiped. Holding God as sacred. And I know sometimes that we say, oh yeah, well, God's number one. It's almost like an afterthought. Who do you love most? Well, I I love God first. And I've got to say that. But I I, I can tell you, and this convicts my heart greatly, that for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange, that is the most important thing in my life. I wrote it down because I didn't think I could remember. That for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange, that is the most important thing in my life. And that is my God. I can say, oh, yeah, but, well, I mean, well, yeah, of course he's first. All of that is like superstition, you know? I think we talked about it recently in a sermon where someone said in the South we're more haunted by God than anything else. If we don't ask a blessing, we spit the food back out in a plate. Has this, has this been blessed? We look at hot dogs and go, hey, these hot dogs been blessed? Like they look differently when you bless them. They've been grilled, but have they been blessed? It's almost like a superstition. It's the way we get sometimes. That for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange. What is that? It's the most important thing in my life. And that is my God. Man, I'll tell you, that might be something really precious. It might not be some drunken tirade. It might not be some fleshly sort of depravity. It might be people that even though you trust God, if you lost them tomorrow, you could not go on. Man, that convicts my heart. Number four, Trust in the wrong prophets is how empires fall. Then all the king's wise men came in and they could not read the inscription or make known the interpretation to the king. You know, the Bible must have been wrong about in the end there'd be false prophets because I don't know of any. I say that sarcastically and you know that because I do know of some. (laughs) 
But we don't seem to, as churches, we don't seem to know of any. I don't know one person right now that I could name who teaches or preaches. No matter what they teach, no matter what they preach, I can tell you right now, you wouldn't have to go far, even if you had to go outside this fellowship. You might not have to go outside the walls of this building. I don't know. Because we we're not real keen sometimes on, well, what is this person saying? Is that really biblical or not? But I want to tell you, I, I could name anybody, and somebody's going to say, yeah, I, I like them. I like her. I like him. I've read one of his books. Boy, it was so good. I feel so much better about myself now. But is it truth? Where are these false prophets? We were told that they would be along by the bushels and they would be everywhere and that they would preach, be preaching lies. But when I stand, honestly, and I'm not complaining about it because I'm going to do it till the day I die. When I stand here in this pulpit and I say, so-and-so says this and that's not biblical and he or she is a false prophet, people hate me for it. I'm not going to cry about it because I know what my calling is. I'll go back to the first thing I said. Daniel, God is my judge. God is my judge, and he's the one that I have to stand before one of these days. But I can tell you, I don't care if it's Joel Osteen or, uh, I can't remember that woman's name, Joyce. Yeah, something or another. I think she could take me in a fair fight. She looks mean. But she does a lot of preaching that's word of faith theology. I'm just telling you, these are false prophets, but you can't name one that somebody's not like, well, I, I don't know. I went to see Joel. Boy, that church is beautiful. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I don't know where all our false prophets went. I, I tell you what I think happened to them. I think we stopped measuring them by how well they represent God and measure them by how well they represent us. Boy, that's my kind of preaching. Good. I hope it's God's because he wasn't called to represent you. He was called to represent God. Number five, avoid listening to the men of God. Boy, this one breaks my heart. It says Daniel was brought in. King spoke, said to Daniel, Are you the Daniel who was one of the exiles from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Man, do you realize we always think of Daniel as being a kid? He was 16 when he was first taken into Babylon. If our math is right, and this is not my math, I I wouldn't quote my math in the pulpit, not unless I'm kidding. He's about 82 years old now. 82 years old. He has been in Babylon that long, and Belshazzar had never heard of him. Of all the things that Daniel did, of the ways he helped Nebuchadnezzar, of the ways that the different things that happened to him. After all of that, 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 so many things that happened in Daniel's life and so many ways he guided. You remember the Chaldeans couldn't help Nebuchadnezzar figure out his dream and all of that to very start with. Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they, 
they were young, bright individuals that were brought back. Nebuchadnezzar didn't kill everybody. If you look like you had something that you could offer Babylon, he'd take you back alive. And these young men did. They were smart. They were sharp. And he knew it. And they always outdid his crowd. But those days seemed to be gone. Old Daniel, it's a good thing that Belshazzar's wife had heard about him. Because Belshazzar knew nothing at all about him. I love what she said about him. She said in verse 12, he's good at solving difficult problems. Literally in the Aramaic, that means he's good at untying knots. They spoke very literally in the Hebrew and the Aramaic. He can take a tangle and he can get her undone. And you got a tangle, buddy. This guy can undo some knots. He can take that which seems impossible and he can figure it out. Well, we live in a world today that you know this, I do too. I, there's no need to harp on it, but well, we know movie stars, we know football stars, athletes, uh, NBA people, whatever, NBA people. As you have phrase of the day. We know all of them, but I bet you we could name some preachers that changed the world. If you get further, much further along or deeper than Billy Graham, people are not going to have a clue as to who you're talking about. And if this world lasts much longer, we won't know who he is. You'll have to go to his museum in Charlotte to find out what he did. We forget them pretty fast. Number six, believe money and power can fix anything. That's how empires fall. And Daniel answered and said to the king, keep your gifts. Now, Daniel already knew tonight you're not going to be awake. You're not going to be alive in the morning. You're giving me something you don't have. Isn't that incredible? How'd you like to live in a country that kept giving away stuff they didn't have? Well, that'd be frightening, would it not? Yeah, I know. He said, you don't have an empire. In a few more hours, you don't even know it. The Persians have already surrounded the place. They're swimming under the wall right now while you swim in the wine, buddy. You won't be here in the morning. And it says when the Persians came in, historical records says the Persians found Belshazzar sitting in a chair in his quarters by himself with a knife in his hand about to take his own life. But they were nice enough to oblige him. And they killed him on the spot. This very night. This very night. Man, money, power, believing it can answer everything. Do you know, and I said this before, you probably remember, but we had had 60 years as a nation behind us and 11 presidents before we spent our first billion dollars. Now, I know those were different times. Okay, I got that. So let's account for economy and inflation and all of that stuff. Boy, I'm in so way over my head when I talk economics. But I do know this. It took 60 years back, or 60 years back then to spend a billion dollars. 
there's some clocks you can go online and look. Last Thursday, it only took 35 minutes. Last Thursday, every 35 minutes, and that's that way every day I just happen to catch that one. America spends a billion dollars every 35 minutes. So this is what, a $2 billion sermon? A billion dollars every 35 minutes. Now, it would be one thing if we had it, but we don't. We don't. I, I, I didn't know this. I had to look it up. Our national debt, our national debt, not our economy. Our national debt right now is larger than the economy of Japan. The whole economy. And Germany. And the United Kingdom. And China. Combined. We owe more than their country's economies put together. And we are borrowing it like a drunken sailor, buddy. We've got some people that, and it's on both sides. It's not about one political party over another. And boy, and they all spend money. I, I don't know. Good Lord, have mercy. And you know how it works. When the IRS owes you money, you go to the mailbox and wear the lid out waiting on it. You owe them money. They won't wait long. <laughs> Got to have it. It's already spent. It's already gone. But we really do. We live in a country where, and right now, if we took our national debt and divided it, just the debt, and divided it among everybody that lives in the United States, we could give every single human in this country 78 thousand dollars and every household over two hundred thousand dollars i know the figures mean nothing you know once you get to a trillion they're arguing now about three trillion two trillion one trillion five trillion whatever once you get to the t word i don't know that it matters anymore especially when you don't have it but we've thought for years that money can fix anything. That's how empires fall. Number seven, refuse to humble ourselves. Refuse to humble oneself. Yet his son Belshazzar, yet you his son Belshazzar, you've not humbled your heart. Even though you knew all of this, you've seen this happen before. And we in our world, we've seen it happen before. We're not stupid. We've seen countries go down this same same road. We see the economy get all out of sorts. We see tyrants come to power. We see nations destroyed. Nations that no one could defeat wind up crumbled into ruins. Why didn't we learn something from that? Jorge Santillana. You won't remember the name probably, but you'll remember what he said. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it. That's who said that. Jorge Santillana. We're condemned to relive it because we, we don't remember it. We're thinking, no, but this is different. <laughs> we elect our officials. Well, Germany elected Hitler. That was a democracy. 
They elected Hitler. And I guarantee you there were people that when he was rising to power, were going, look, we got checks and balances in place. That's not going to happen here. We got this and that. And we got, you know, I hear people in America say, well, we got the Constitution. That's what's going to protect us and blah, blah, blah. And we got different branches of government and all of this, that, and the other. We are just as big of fools as all of those who have come before us, friend. We're fools. Number eight, failed to glorify God. He told him in verse 23, he said, but the God, you've praised the gods of wood and stone, silver and gold and all of that. He says, but the God that in whose hand you were in, you're in his hand. You don't even realize that. And he holds your breath, your next breath in his hand. You, whose hand you are in, your life, breath, and all your ways. Everything you do, you do with permission from your Creator, and you have failed to glorify Him. The very air that you breathe and everything you do, that God holds you in His hand, and you have shaken your fist in His face and mocked Him. Belshazzar, you are a fool. And then last of all, be ignorant of the message of God. This writing on the wall, it's not that Belshazzar himself didn't know what the words were. These words are Aramaic. They're uh, passive participles. You are being weighed. You have been found wanting. He knew Aramaic. He knew what the words were. But he couldn't figure out what they meant. Because they were like measurements and, and divisions. If you take this and cut it into two parts, you got one of these. That's what the words were. They were words that they would use in the marketplace every day. So it's not that the words are strange. It's the interpretation of them that they could not figure out. It was not a foreign language. The main problem for Belshazzar was these words had no significance for him. I think the hand writing on the wall shook him up pretty good. It looks like he's the only one that saw it. That terrified him. But he had no idea. And he brought in his wise guys that's supposed to know about all that stuff, and they couldn't figure it out either. If they knew what the words were, they just didn't know what it meant. I'll close with this today. Do you ever look around and wonder, does everybody have the same Bible I do? I bet you have. Yeah, they do. I mean, I'm with you. I've wondered. Because I'm like, how, how can you, how can you, <laughs> give me a minute, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. How can you look at that and go, yeah, God's okay with that? What? Sort of like when your parents used to look at you, my dad didn't look at me and say this. 
I, he never really said very many cool things like that. When it was time for discipline, he didn't say anything. <laughs> but I've heard parents say, what part of no don't you understand? I always thought that was cool. My dad just skipped all that and went straight to the flailing. <laughs> and he said, I'm not going to count like some parents do you count. <laughs> Here we go. One. <laughs> but I've wondered sometimes when it is so plain, what part of that don't people get? Where did you... Why am I still right now being honest with you, there are folks who are extremely offended at me right now because I believe that we have butchered over 60 million human beings by abortion. They give me a hard time about it. They dig up cases sometimes that, you know, well, this would be an exception to it, or have you thought about this? This is what I don't get. These are people that tell me they believe the Bible. They don't go to church here anymore, but they go to somebody's church and they hear somebody preach every Sunday, and I'm like, you really think two men can get married and God's cool with that? We've got denominations that have gay people in the pulpit. I'm not saying I hate gay people at all. It's not what I'm saying. I would love to be able to try to sit down with people who are, have issues like that because I've got my own issues. I'm a long ways from where I need to be in other areas of my life. But I'd love to sit down with people that no matter what they're struggling with and love them and help them. But I can just tell you, if, if I keep denying that I have any kind of problem, my doctor cannot help me. My pastor cannot help me. And so I wonder sometimes when people stand up and say, well, I just tell you right now, I, I, I read the Bible, and here's where they always go. Well, there's a lot of interpretations. You see, that was the problem here. We know something's being weighed. It looks like something's being divided, but we don't know what. Hmm. Daniel says, I can tell you what. You've been weighed, Belshazzar. And you came up short. And tonight your kingdom will be divided. And boy, was it ever. I, I, I don't know what to do sometimes, honestly. I don't want to make enemies. It does me no good. I'm, I'm way too old to sit around and get any kind of jollies from just ticking somebody off. But I have to preach the truth. And there's some things the Word of God is clear on. And just because we love the fog, we love that. We love saying, well, we just don't know for sure. Well, there's no reason not to know for sure. There are some things that we don't know for sure, but there's some things that we do. We, we do know. And we can't dodge around that. There's one way to have a relationship with God, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. What's going to happen to the millions of Hindus? They're going to need to hear about Jesus Christ and trust Him as their Savior. What about the millions of Muslims? They're going to have to hear about Jesus Christ and trust Him as their Savior. That is the only way they can have 
a relationship with God. Pastor Mike, are you saying that all of those people are going to die lost that live way off over there where we're not even preaching? I'm afraid I'm not the one saying it. The Word of God says it. And if we'd get busy worrying more about who all we hadn't told than who all hadn't heard, maybe more of them would hear. I'd love for us to pray together this morning. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for our world. Maybe you're here this morning and it's not an empire that's fallen. Maybe it's your life. It's not just empires that can disobey God in these ways. Maybe it's you. Maybe you put some things before God. Maybe you've depended on finances to kind of always fix things or whatever. It, It can happen to any of us. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you right now and I ask you, Father, Help us. Help us to know, God, what to do. We beg you for guidance, Lord. When do we step into the palace? When do we step into the marketplace of ideas as Christians and and take a stand for the truth? And, And how do we go about that, God? Lord, I pray for discernment, first of all. Help us to know when we're really standing up for you and when, God, we're selfishly just trying to win an argument. Help us to know, God, when we've made it about ourselves and it's not about you at all. Help us, Lord, to be like Daniel, to maybe be so elusive sometimes that some may not even know who we are, but when it is time to speak, we speak and we speak with authority and power and we speak your word, God, and we speak it plain and we speak it clearly, Lord. I pray for your help in that, God. I pray for any relationship that maybe I have hurt selfishly, God, or of the flesh. But I also pray, God, that you would continue to give me your word and, and, and help me, Lord, to know how to say it in love and with compassion, but also, Lord, with conviction and clarity. I pray for us as a church, God. I pray that we'd be a light in this darkness. We all know it's dark. We can talk all day about that. Help us to be a light in the darkness, God. Help us, Lord, to show people, to live the kind of life that people would look at us like they looked at Daniel. And they knew that that man has a power of God in his life. He's got the ability to do things and, 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 and live in a certain way. He proved it over and over, God, because you lived inside of him, God. I pray it would be that evident in our lives. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. 
please join us again next week.